Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children 18 plus. You are tuned in to the Loan Officer Podcast with me, Dustin Owen, and my main man, JC. John Coleman. T.O. was popping. I love having you what? back in the hot seat. Thank you. Well, shout out to our previous guest, Jared Lee. Yeah, shout out to Jared Lee. Attorney extraordinaire. Everybody needs a good attorney in their pocket. Yes, yes, everyone does need a good attorney, and usually a good loan officer right. is going to introduce you to a decent attorney. The it's amazing the people you have in your network mm-hmm. when you make a living out of being a professional yeah. residential finance expert, right. a.k.a. loan monkey, a.k.a. Wow. loan officer, a.k.a. mortgage loan that originator. That's a good one. You just made that up? The first part. No, nah, probably not. Oh, that was good, John, though. I've for, never heard you say that one, though. For 18 years... Mm-hmm. I don't know what comes out of that what's mouth. What's going to come out of this mouth? Yes. And okay. no, not just 18 years. For 40, 41. I would say 43 years. But when did you really start talking? Probably like around 18 months or 24 months old. Why so don't they like say the- that? One year, two years. I don't talk in months. That sh- makes no sense. Oh, he's 18 months old. I mean, he's to, one. To to a certain degree, it, it depends. It depends. Like eight, six months and nine months designates a lot in terms of growth and development. Mm-hmm. But you're right. When people say, well, he's 36 months old. I'm like, no, he's three no, he's years. Three years he's old. three years old. Yeah. He's Imagine zero you're, or one. You're, you're, you're 20 year old. Well, she's 240 months That's old. That's all I was going to ask you to do that math. That's good fourth grade math for you. Dustin. I am 489 months old. I'm going to start doing that. It's going to take me a while to figure out. I'm 37, 37. Times. Okay, so it's 480 minus I'm out. 72. I'm out. Stop. 480 minus 72. You're about 408 months old, John. Mm. For, for, if you think about that, 400. No, you're not. It'd be 36. So it'd be 480 minus 36. Mm. So 480 minus 36 is 444. So, oh, you're 444, but you're not because you're already 37 on your way to 38. So you're somewhere between 444 and probably 451. Does it speed up? Does it continue life? Like, does it get faster? Because. No, you know, life goes at 24 hours a day. Yeah. It goes at 365 and one quarter day, yeah, yeah. days per year. Yeah, right. But it feels like That's life. why we get leap year. That's where that quarter comes from, ladies and feels. gentlemen. That quarter is because every four years we have leap year. After 35 years old, I forget how old I am. Facts. In the spirit of Jared Lee and hopping right to the point, because I know you're on a time crunch today because you got to do some volleyball stuff. First. No, actually, I do have to do volleyball stuff later tonight with my, my – it's my kid's annual end of the high school season. God. I don't know what it is, but it's a celebration. Sounds like a fundraiser the school puts on to raise extra funds for the end of the school year. Am I wrong? No, it's more like we get your varsity lender, your certificate. They hand out the award for, like, most valuable player, and then you all go to a MVP? local restaurant. Nice. But, I mean, he won't be getting oh. MVP, but somebody is. You never know. Most of I, I basically went to 24 games this year. MIP? Most improved? Is that an award you want? Most improved, yeah. You want that award? I mean, that means mm, you were trash before, (laughs) now you're better. (laughs) Right. Yeah, no, but I do appreciate, man, that first episode that we did with Jared, Homeboy jumped right into it. Very abrupt, caught me off guard. I thought you were going to be like, oh, yeah. yeah." Well, that's what I appreciate, like having you back in the hot seat because, look, our intro can be either something that's exciting, it can be somewhat obnoxious, it can be a lot for someone who's never done this before. Usually is. And it's our shtick, right? It's our trademark. We're probably never never going to get away from it matter i look i look forward to us being in vegas in september and someone coming up to you at the bar like jc do it do that thing jc do what i'm gonna start uh, yeah i'll do it for five bucks and then that'll be my baseline you'll do it for a shot of patron i will i'm a a don julio guy now does it have to be chilled nah neat 
Neat. All, all day. Okay, but not chilled. Mm-hmm. Just neat. Just all right, neat. there we go. Yep. No, what are we going to talk about today? Today, we are going to talk about the future of housing in America. The future of housing in America. And um, obviously, it's a hot topic. Yes. Obviously, I, I wish I pulled the episode. If y'all go to YouTube mm-hmm. right now, um, I love going to YouTube in order to search our old episodes yeah. because when people reach out to me, they're like, hey, you should do an episode on XYZ. By the way, we love it when you all reach out to us. Please do. LinkedIn, I'm Dustin Owen. It's a great way to get a hold of me. Mm-hmm. Um, or you can follow our social handles, Instagram, Facebook. We have a LinkedIn page. They're all titled The no, Loan Officer Podcast. Podcast. That's where you listen to us if you're on Spotify or Apple iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play or anywhere where you're going to listen to a podcast. Mm-hmm. But you can watch us mm-hmm. slash listen to us on YouTube. Word. And YouTube's great because people are very interactive. Yeah. Um, but... I'm pretty sure it was well over a year ago that we did an episode titled, Is There a Housing Bubble? Yeah, and I think back then your answer was no, and then we ended the episode after four seconds. Uh, I wish. Jokingly. Yep. So anyhow, so I think today's episode is going to be timely. It's going to reference that episode we did a a year ago, but it's like, what is the future of housing in America? There's a really good Fortune Magazine article that a buddy of mine sent me Mm -hmm. um, that I read and I sent to you as well. And it's interesting because this article written by Fortune Magazine, it references Moody Analytics and it references CoreLogic. And those are two nationally renowned companies who do research. Mm -hmm. And first and foremost, they threw it out there. That, hey, guess what? Something like 65% of housing markets are deemed to be overvalued. Oh. Fact. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. So what's the future of housing in America? Well, I'm going to tell you it's more of the same. That article is going to reference, if you go and find it, more of the same. There could be some extreme cases where markets are extremely overvalued. And if that's the case and there's gonna be pockets of those, Mm -hmm. you may very well see home values come down by mm, five to 10%. Five to 10%, not 25%, not 50%, Mm -hmm. 25, five to 10. In in pockets of certain markets. Is there a threshold for like the percentage to go down where it does is deemed a bubble? Like, hey, if it's like. Well, a correction is typically throughout the financial industry known as 10% decrease. So like okay. if the stock market had a correction, it would be because the S&P 500 or the Dow Jones Industrial dropped by 10%. Mm-hmm. So it went from 30,000 down to t- below 27,000, okay. right? That would th- that would denote, okay, well, that was a market correction. Okay. But you know, I'll tell you this, and we did an episode recently where we referenced this. I wouldn't let that sway me as a buyer. Hey, five to 10%. I mean, if I'm buying a house, I'm buying a house with the next five, seven or 10 years in mind, mm-hmm. not the next one, two or three years. So if now's a good time to buy. It's a good time to buy. Meaning where am I in life? When is my lease up? When are my kids getting out of the, out of school? When am I getting that promotion? When am I having my third baby? Right? Mm-hmm. So like, but the future of housing, like what should we be looking at? Okay. This red hotness will continue to stay hot. But what we are starting to see and if you follow us on LinkedIn, I posted, and I can't remember if I posted on the personal, I think I did my personal yeah, page, person. but an article that I read and I liked it. And I think all I commented was what he said, <laughs> but it was basically an article and it was a rah-rah, like this is good for home buyer article. And it referenced that inventory is creeping up. A little bit. Yeah. And I don't think these were creeping. I think they said, well, inventory is rising. Yes. Mm-hmm. We're in a market where we're going to see inventory rising. Mm-hmm. It's going from abysmal. Yeah. To pathetic. It's better than abysmal. 
abysmal to pathetic. And let me put that in numbers for you. And this Fortune, um, I don't know if the Fortune, no, you know what? The Fortune Magazine article didn't represent. You know who did? Um, the Realtor.com article? No, actually, I was listening to uh, our boy Barry Habib. Shout out Barry Habib. And it was on uh, the, um, there's a, a, a one of the economic reports that came out today. And actually, I didn't even listen to Barry today. I read it. Because okay. um, sometimes I actually prefer just to read it. It's a lot quicker than to have to listen to it. And I was stuck at a red light, stuck in traffic, multitasking like I normally do. And I read it. And it may be like the, the NHIB um, just came out. And something that was referenced was essentially this. And I'm a paraphrase. Inventory is rising. We just went from two months supply to 2.2 months supply. Nice. Let's go. Let's go. Find a home. Maybe. Do you know what is deemed a healthy supply? I do not know, but I have a, I have a hunch you'll tell me now. Six. Six months supply. Six months supply. So on average, nationally, if we went from two months to 2.2, 2, mm. that's a good sign. Things are heading in the right direction. Right. We are still, right, it's still a long ways to go. Right. We're going to have to increase our supply by 200% before we can get to a normalized market. So that means these markets that are overvalued will continue to be overvalued. Is it true that I saw an article somewhere online that said Florida now is the richest, like most expensive place to live? Or is that just clickbait I saw? No, I, you're not the only person that's referenced that. Um, what it is is Miami. Okay, so there. Miami. If we were to cut off in Tampa, you know what? Shout Miami, out Tampa. Miami and Tampa, um, I think when you look at the at the fastest growing markets mm -hmm. in America. Boise is number one. That's Boise, a, Idaho. All of California woke up one day and said, screw it. I'm out. Let's go to Boise. <laughs> right. Yep. Right. Um, so it's it's been a massive exodus from California into Boise. So that is the number one market. But I believe Tampa is like number two. Hmm. So because of Tampa and because of Miami, mm -hmm. you definitely have all of a sudden um, the price of right. homes and housing has escalated and now it's become one of the most expensive. I, I would think it'd be hard to compete against California in general. Right. But question: So even though um, if prices in Miami and Tampa are really high, does that have any sort of effect on homes in Jacksonville and Orlando? I know it's like far away, but as a whole in the state, would that affect anything? Directly, I couldn't see where Miami or Tampa would would directly impact Jacksonville mm -hmm. and Orlando, but it will indirectly because ultimately the people who are getting squeezed out of Miami, where are they going to go next? Are they going to go to Orlando? Are they going to go to Jacksonville? Or do they just go to West Palm Beach? Mm. Right. So at some point you're going to start migrating north away from away right. from that. Or do they migrate west over into like the Fort Myers area? Gotcha. But yeah, I mean, eventually you'll have that. And look, at the end of the day, Florida has been a desirable place to move since the 1970s. I mean, right. when my grandparents moved down here in 1971 and they drugged my mom along, yeah. which by the way, then my grandfather invited her boyfriend <laughs> to join. Didn't ask, didn't ask her, right. invited her boyfriend. Yeah. She was a senior in high school. He was two years out of high school. Right. Um, he was like, sure. Yeah, I'll move down. There's like, you're not living with us. You but can get you, your own yeah, place. Yeah, right. But yeah, back. some old man followed suit, found a job at Palmer Electric, digging ditches as nice. a electrician's apprentice. Um, and then my mom was like, thanks pops for, I guess, inviting my, yeah. what am I supposed to do now? I guess I'll marry the dude, yeah. start a family. Here yeah, I am. And here you are. Yeah. And here I am. But yeah, but I look at my in-laws, my in-laws moved down here from Chicago in 1980. 
three-ish. Yeah. And why? Because my father-in-law got sick and tired of scraping ice off mm -hmm. of his windshield in April. Mm -hmm. You know, I was like, this is BS. Had a great job opportunity to move down here. Florida has great weather. It's a cheaper cost of living. And we don't have state income taxes. Right. And it's a large state with lots of coastline. Mm -hmm. Like, people want to be here. Like, why did your parents move down? Because it was, yeah, same reasons. Multiple, same, yeah, same yeah, reasons, same, yeah, same reasons, yeah. right? Like, they were retiring from the Northeast. Tired of, it, yeah. tired of the cold family weather. Family was down here. Yeah, they, they had some family yeah. down here. Yeah, so, you know, I think because of that, you're always going to have certain areas, such as Florida, mm -hmm. that, you know, is insulated from what, what the rest of the world is going through. Right. But this episode is the future of housing in America. Let's talk about that. Right. So you should anticipate at some point a flat line in home prices, but not this year, not this year. We, we like, we're already four and a half months into the year going on five months into the year. And it's looking pretty good. Like we're going to have double digit increases in, in home values, double digit. That means 10%. That's crazy. Like I was taught real estate that a good rule of thumb was that your home will appreciate by 3% per year on average, right. right? That factored in good years, it factored in bad years and it factored in slack years. So for us to see a 10% increase, that means if you bought your house back in October and you bought it for $350,000, it's worth $385,000 today. Damn. Yeah. Now imagine if you only put 5% down, you put $17,500 down, you paid another 7,500 uh, in closing costs. So you're out of pocket $25,000 and in one year, your yeah, asset appreciated by over 110% your initial investment. Right. That's pretty freaking awesome. Um, I think we'll continue to see that. Now, could you have a market like Boise pull back? Maybe, but in order for that to pull back, people are going to have to stop wanting to move there. Yeah. That's what it's going to take. People are going to have to stop wanting to move there. Mm -hmm. So maybe eventually the home prices get so high that all of a sudden the advantage from li from not living mm -hmm. in California, living in Idaho is no longer, is no longer there. Yeah. Right now, the reason why I'm confident we don't have a bubble. I stated it a year ago, um, or ish, over give, yeah. give or take. I can't remember. I should have looked that up. Yeah. I should have looked it up before we got on two, exactly. on these two mics here. <laughs> um, but in this article, referenced it. So I'm going back to the Fortune Magazine uh, article, and I can't remember if it was Moody's or if it was CoreLogic, uh, but one of their researchers was quoted that in order for something to have a, to have a bubble, it typically needs two qualities. It needs overvalued markets, which we have, like most major markets are overvalued and it needs speculative buying. Dude. And the, and these are the two reasons, or this is the one main reason why I'm confident there's not a bubble. We don't have any speculative buying. What is speculative buying? Speculative buying is, um, if I go and buy this piece of property, I'm going to get rich quick. So I'm going to turn around and flip it and I'm going to make 30, 50, a hundred thousand dollars. Right. Speculative buying is what we saw left and right in 2005, six, seven, eight. People were going into new construction communities, writing contracts to have a new construction home built, giving the builder a $5,000 deposit to build the home. Nine months later, when, when the home was ready, it went from being valued at 300,000 to now it's worth 375,000. Mm -hmm. And all this person has ever done is put a $5,000 deposit. Mm. They would close on the home, turn around, relist it and make 50, 60 grand. And they legit did next to nothing. All they did was put a home under contract, 
got that price locked in, mm -hmm. waited out the nine or 10 months to have the home built, closed on it, then turned around and resold it. Those were speculators. Those were not real estate investors. And the reason why they were able to do that is because there was loosey goosey creative financing everywhere. I was a young loan originator and I could not walk into a real estate office without hearing a realtor say, tell me about your no doc loans. Tell me about your stated income loans. Well, this lender will do 100% financing at a 580 credit score. You won't get out of here, kid. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I always joke with my realtor friends. I'm like, look, I know y'all like to look at lenders and be like, oh, it's because of you <laughs> that we had 2007 and eight. You made the market crash. I'm like, bullshit. It's on all of us. Right. It was on you, the realtor, me, the lender. It was on the consumer because they're the ones that were raising their hands saying, A, I want this and B, I can make that payment. And they were signing their name to it. But more importantly, it was on Wall Street. Look, we're run by Wall Street. Our country is run by Wall Street. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter if there's a red or a blue in office. It doesn't matter who controls Congress. Mm -hmm. It does not matter. Wall Street, take my word for it. Don't take my word for it. Go do your own research. Mm -hmm. Just open your mind to this idea yeah. that everything is controlled. Yeah by Wall Street. Wall Street controls Main Street. Look at what's going on right now. What What is one of the things wrong with the housing market? Hedge funds are buying up homes by the thousands in markets. Hedge funds are going in, they're overpaying for homes, which is driving up the value, which is keeping Tom and Tracy from buying their first house. Mm -hmm. And they're renting it out and they're not even doing a good job of being landlords. Look up who the four major hedge funds are that are purchasing homes. They're doing it under a REIT. REIT stands for Real Estate Investment Trust, R-E-I-T. And then look at the subcores, the subcorporations that they're buying the homes under. And then they are turning around and renting the homes. And look at those Yelp reviews. You're looking at one and two star reviews. If there's a concern of mine in the future of the housing market, that's a concern. And the problem is I don't have an answer to how do you stop it? Like, I don't think the federal government steps in and says, uh, uh, you can't do that. That's not, we, that's right. not, we, we live in a, in a democratic capitalistic society. Right. You start doing that and you're, you're authoritarian society. Yeah. Do you think how far widespread, how widespread is that them like purchasing like trust? Is it like all across the nation? Is it everywhere? Like, will you, be, will all, you, will you find it in all veto sub like, oh, subdivisions? Yes. Okay. They're in every major market, okay. especially the Orlando's and the Phoenixes of the world, hmm. the the Salt Lake cities of the world, the Nashville's of the world, so busy the, the Tampa's yeah. of the world. Right. Yes. Houston, Dallas. Now, Dallas has stepped up. This is what needs to happen. Dallas has stepped up as a municipality and said, uh uh, not my backyard. No, sir, no, ma'am. You're not going to be able to do that. Now, they don't know how they're going to do it, but they're recognizing that this isn't a good thing. That's what I'm saying. Like, like at, at what point do we, the American dream very well could be snatched from Wall Street, from these hedge funds who are purchasing these properties. But I don't know what you want our federal government to do because I can't see how they can step in. Now, they could come, they could step in. And this is just me spitballing ideas, by the way. And whatever tax incentives or tax mm -hmm. safe havens these REITs have, if they were to prohibit them from having those safe havens, maybe they had to pay taxes yeah. on their um, unrealized gains, right? You bought the home for 300, it's now worth 350. 
That's $50,000 in unrealized gains. It's unrealized because you haven't sold the asset yet. But if they put some kind of a tax law in like that and you just purchased 10,000 homes times $50,000 and now that's, you know, of hundreds of millions of dollars in taxable uh, income uh, mm-hmm. that you have to uh, 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 settle. Yeah. But then again, I just told, I just shared with y'all, in my opinion, my experience is who controls yeah. Washington? Wall Street. Yes, big business. Big business controls Wall Street. It's like, look, look at this current administration. You look at who they choose to be on their economic council and in high positions within their their cabinet. Mm-hmm. It's big business. It's Wall Street. Mm-hmm. Now, because it's a, a blue in the house, that that the the people, you know, aren't pale male and stale. Right. And high five for that. Yeah. High five that we're letting other people besides pale male and stale yeah. slide in. But they still represent the same interests, right, so. right? They still represent the, the, the same interests. Look at the economic papers that are that are drafted and written, and then the policies are made behind it. Someone paid that professor from Harvard mm. to write that. Oh, who paid that professor? And I'm sorry, John, if I'm paying you $30,000 to write a paper, yeah. you think maybe you can slant that paper and that research my, my way, yeah, homie? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need to see those edits before you send that final draft out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so like housing in America, the future of housing, that's a scary thing. If if you're a part of your local community, mm-hmm. your cities, your counties, your states, I think you should be taking a long, hard look into these massive REITs. Right. And is that what's good and what's best for your county and its citizens? The answer may be yes. I'm not trying to say it's not yes. Mm-hmm. The answer may be yes. Like you're talking to a guy that, full disclosure, I'm a part owner in a real estate investment company. I'm a part owner in a real estate development company. Like I, I appreciate real estate as a business, but you know, I, and I wouldn't want someone to come in and be like, I'm sorry, sir, you can't fix and flip that home. Cause I'm like, but wait a minute. Cause when I'm fixing and flipping a home, in my opinion, I'm taking a home that currently is maybe an eyesore in a neighborhood and it's bringing down the economic valuation of that neighborhood. I am adding value when I fix it up. And now all of a sudden when I resell it, I'm bringing more value to the rest of the homeowners. Right. Think about the future of housing in America. Think about VRBO and Airbnb. Yeah. Where were they 10 years ago? Where were they 20 years ago? Non-existent. Yeah, so 20 years ago when you were graduating high school, right? 15 years ago when you were graduating college, they weren't really around. Mm-hmm. So these cities and these counties and these neighborhoods have never had to deal with people coming in, buying a property, then all of a sudden renting it by the week or renting it by the month. Yeah, no, I could tell. I mean, I just went to one and someone had a graduation party there last week and it was in like a nice quiet neighborhood, but it had been flipped into like a party house, but like next door it was like, yeah. It was a VRBO, right? Yeah, it was a VRBO. Yeah, so do we want that to happen? I don't know. That's something that's gonna creep up on people. Historically, historically having a lot of rentals in a certain area it drags the overall neighborhood down in value. Because renters don't give a shit. They'll leave it like anything. Okay. For the most part. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to say not yeah, all. Yeah, correct. Sorry. But yes. So how about this? We have in our local community here in Central Florida, we have whole entire neighborhoods being purchased by one investor. New construction. 90 units. One person coming in and they're buying, they're buying 48 townhomes and 60 single family homes <laughs> for rental purposes. But my question is, what does that do to all the homes in, 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 in the surrounding area? Because when you're a renter, are you going to maintain the, the, the yard? Someone else's problem. 
it's someone else's problem. But, and then, yeah. and then if, if I'm trying to look at the past three to five years of data that we have, these hedge funds have not proven to be the best landlords. Right. How, how much do they care about upkeep? Not a, yeah. Right. And then if you're renting, are you going to be involved in your community? That's what I'm saying. With a sense of community, if everybody's renting, you got people coming and going, you don't even know who lives next door. to R you. Renters tend to be more transient. When you're transient, you're not going to get out and vote. Yeah. You're not going to get out there and, and do uh, various community service, mm -hmm. right? Because you're just not bought in. That is the power of home ownership is that it's ownership. It's that sense of pride. Even if you have a 30 year fixed mortgage on it, and it's going to take you forever to get it paid off. You still know that's yours. Mm -hmm. That's your equity. That's your American dream. And that's being stripped away. So that's going to be something we have to watch. And I think we're going to have to come together as people. Main Street is going to have to band together, David versus Goliath. Right. And we're probably going to have to stand up to Wall Street at some point. First, we need to do the data and the research to make sure we want to do that. Certain neighborhoods, certain communities, certain municipalities, maybe the answer is no. I love Wall Street. Others, it's like, uh-uh, not my backyard. So we talked about the hedge funds. Mm. We've talked about whether or not there's a housing bubble. The answer is no. Mm. And the reason why it's no is because there's no speculative buying. And, there, and the, the biggest reason why there's no speculative buying is that there's not easy financing, right? By, by putting handcuffs and rules and regulations around financing, then it, it prevents speculative buying. Cool. Talked a little about VRBO. And I guess you call them short-term rental. VRBO sure, is yeah. a company. Mm -hmm. Airbnb is a company, but we call them short-term rental. That is something that has been running rampant and wild, mm -hmm. wild, wild west. Mm -hmm. It's going to be reined in. Yeah. It's going to be reined in. And the minute it gets reined in, less people will be wanting to buy those homes. With less people buying the homes, we'll uh -oh. have an inventory buildup. Yeah. With an inventory buildup, we'll see prices subside. Maybe they'll, maybe they'll start to flatten a little bit. Yeah. Maybe our month supply will go from 2.2 to 3.2 to 4.2. Now, look, if you are a naysayer, if you are a sky is falling chicken little person, cool. We need you. We need all types of people in this world. That's what makes our world go around, especially here in America. All I would ask you to do is watch month supply. If you see month supply creeping up from 2.2 to 2.6 to 2.9 to 3.2 to 3.7 to 4, all right, cool. That's healthy. Mm -hmm. If you see... 2.2 to 4.2 to 6.2. Hey, yeah, yeah, yep, yep. Where, where, where is where is that break glass in case of emergency? I need that. Yeah, yeah. That's something that's going to make you want to take a step back, take a deep breath, yeah. and reassess your situation. Mm -hmm. What we haven't talked about is ADUs. And John, what does ADU stand for? Accessory dwelling unit. Accessory dwelling units. So if this is your first time hearing about ADUs, please know your reticular activator is not now turned on. Mm -hmm. One way that we can create more housing is to take the housing that we currently have and allow multiple families to live on that piece of property. Mm -hmm. How do you do that? Well, you convert an overhead, um, like the, the space above a garage into yeah. an apartment, turn a, a garage into an apartment, yeah. take a 300 square, 3,000 square foot home and split it into two by, by putting a wall mm -hmm. and separate entrances, hmm. right? Like this is something that certain cities, municipalities, counties can do and allow that would then create more housing because mm -hmm. you're taking one house and then <laughs> separating into two. ADUs have always been a thing? Nah, man. I mean, yes, but no. Right. Yes, but no. Like illegally, like someone just put up a piece of plywood. Like now I have two homes, but like because I had never really heard of it until somewhat recently. I mean, if, like my buddy Sean, R.I.P. Sean. Um, my buddy Sean's 
first house that he owned in West Palm Beach, Florida, mm-hmm. was built in 1927, I believe. Yeah. It had an ADU. Oh, okay. Yep, it was a um, little Spanish-style home. Right, okay. That was probably three-bedroom, uh, two-bath, had a detached garage. That garage had, like, what we would call a mother-in-law suite. Mm-hmm. So it had an efficiency apartment. The address was one 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 and a half oh yeah okay Okay. and then yes and and he could rent that so no they're not like brand but you're going to hear about them more they're going to become more prevalent um and but we need the the cities the neighbors municipalities get on board we also need fannie Mae and freddie mac to get on board that's what i'm saying because if you john coleman are trying to buy a four hundred fifty thousand dollar property and you don't qualify how cool would it be if you bought a four hundred fifty thousand dollar property that had an adu and because of the ADU, I could use that proposed rent that you're going to receive maybe off of the, the garage apartment that has the side entrance. Mm-hmm. And we could use that extra $450 a month in rent or 600 bucks a month in rent to help you qualify mm-hmm. for this new home purchase. So I, I did read from the MBA this week that Freddie Mac is at least discussing it. They're discussing the ability to have a, to have a consumer like you or I purchase a home and use ADU income right. to help qualify, but we still need the cities and municipalities. So like, it's gonna come down to the, the city councilmen and councilwomen, and it's gonna come down to the local voters and the, the local HOA managers to kind of come together and push back against the hedge funds if that's what you wanna do, allow ADUs if that's what you wanna do. And then from a local governance standpoint, it's gonna require the future of housing in America is gonna require us to be able to lighten up on some of our zoning laws mm-hmm. on some of our environmental impact laws and that's hard to do because you're talking to someone who i firmly Yo, i love follow turtles. science yeah, i love turtles man firmly follow science right so like i i want to reduce greenhouse emissions and i think we need to get this global warming thing under under uh wraps and i don't think the paris accord is like a farce right i also don't believe in aliens and i know you do right. it's okay right, right. No, no. Actually, I, I wouldn't mind aliens. I, I could give you aliens. Thank you. Um, I can't give someone <laughs> that, you know, that says that it's a farce that, you know. Right. But nonetheless, we're not, we're not going down there. Right. Um, I'm, what I'm trying to discuss is just this is the future of housing in America. So what we should see mm-hmm. is, okay, it's really easy for the federal government to come in and say, all right, ladies and gentlemen, we're FHA, we're Fannie Mae, we're Freddie Mac. And when we have a home that's being foreclosed on, we will not sell it to an investor. High five, federal government. That's a good step in the right direction. The problem is there's not that many homes in foreclosure. That's a good thing. That's a sign that we're in a booming economy. Mm -hmm. But, okay, that's a step in the right direction. What else can they do? Well, the current administration or the next administration could easily work with the country called Canada, the 51st state just north of us, Mm And maybe reduce the tariffs on lumber. We get a lot of lumber out of Canada. If we reduce the tariffs, then maybe that cost savings will be passed along to home builders, which we pass along to, to consumers. Hmm. Okay, because what we do need is builders building more homes. Like, that's what we need. Builders have not been building for the past 10 years. They've been underbuilding. Basically, since they got their teeth kicked in right. in 2008 and 2009, they basically just did a 180 and said, uh-uh, not again. And they kind of overcompensated. Now, when they try to build, land's expensive, material's expensive, and they don't have labor. Well, labor is going to come from immigration reform. It just is. Unless we have more 16, 17, 18-year-olds raising their hands saying, I want to swing a hammer. Right. I want to dig ditches. Right. 
if they're not willing to do it, those that were mm-hmm. born and raised in this great country called the United States of America, then we're going to find people outside yeah. who want to do that work and be paid handsomely for it, 18, 20, 22, 25 bucks an hour to come in and learn a skill set and, and do it. But we need that as well. If we can't, we can't build more, more, more homes, then we mm-hmm. can't keep up with, with the, the population demand. Mm-hmm. So again, the future of housing in America is going to rely heavily on being able to find land. Once we find the land, can we work with our states and our counties and our municipalities to make building on that land feasible? Whether it's by uh, loosening their restrictions and their zoning requirements, maybe loosening some of their environmental impact requirements, allowing there to be multiple units per parcel instead of one unit per parcel, allowing there to be a duplex next to a single family home, right? allowing a community to have a neighborhood full of manufactured housing right next to a gated community. Because right now that gated community is like, uh-uh, 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 uh-uh yeah. Uh-uh, yeah, you're not having that next. <laughs> yeah, 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 but at some point we need manufactured housing. That is affordable, safe housing for many of our citizens. Right. So like these are some of the things that we as a, as a society, 20 years now, I'm 20 years removed from college, this is all brand new. This is all brand new. If I try to study what it was like when I was in high school and middle school, I don't believe they had to deal with this either. Absolutely. So let's go 30 years. So let's just say this is where we are. This is where we are. It's not going to change. It's not going to go backwards. Right. We're not going to all of a sudden wake up and we're going to see home prices where they were in 2013. Hmm. No. Like, this is our new normal. Yeah. This is where it's going to be. And this is what we're going to have to deal with. And now we have to start. Now that we know what we're up against, let's start creating game plans. Right. Let's start networking with the right people. Let's start pushing back on the wrong people or holding those wrong people accountable. Like I was just thinking about this as you and I were doing our show today. I was kind of hot and heavy on all of the hedge funds buying the properties, not letting mm-hmm. uh, John and Kathy home buyer go out and buy their first house. And, and I really don't know how the federal government could ever regulate them. But we had this thing in the mortgage industry called the CFPB, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. Mm-hmm. Well, could the CFPB not regulate an entity that its parent owns more than 500 units, more than a thousand single family units, right? So if you own, and this is the parent, because what Wall Street would do is they would get the parent and they would do all of these different subs that each owned by subs, um, sub corporations, Mm -hmm. subsidiaries Mm -hmm. that, oh, well, this one owns a hundred, this one owns 200, this one owns 80. No, no, no. No, whoever that rolls up to, the minute you own more than 500, you are going to be more heavily regulated on how on how well you upkeep the property, mm-hmm. on how you treat your tenants, et cetera, et cetera. At a minimum, let's do that to protect the citizens of this great country. Like at a minimum. But also if you start putting that type of pressure, it'll force these REITs to double think their mm-hmm. business strategy. Because right now, maybe their business strategy is, look, I'm going to buy the house. Buy I'm going to throw someone in it. And I'm, gonna, I'm basically, at that point, I'm going to half-ass it. Like, look, I, I don't care a whole lot about you. I don't care a whole lot about the neighborhood. Don't, I don't even care about the community or the schools or the cops mm. or the teachers or the firefighters or the hospitals because I don't. Mm. Why? Because I sit up on Wall Street and on the weekends, I go to my, to my, to my place in the Hamptons. Make sure your rent is paid on time. Yeah, and pay rent on time. <laughs> if you know, I'm going to kick you out because I really don't care. <laughs> right. And I'm going to get a bunch of one-star reviews on Yelp. Who cares? Yeah. Hey, CFPB, if you're listening, doubt you are. Um, if you're listening, I apologize for every time I drop a four-letter word. But I, I, I would say, look look this way. 
Are you protecting the consumer? Don't know. Don't know. But, John, you asked the question. You got fired up. That was good. I got fired up. Wow. The future of that of the housing in America. And what, do you this think is it's what we're up against, and this is what we're looking at. But, no, there's not a bubble. But, no, there's not a bubble. And, yes, most markets are overpriced. And get used to it. And I'm sure at some point they'll level off. But they won't level off until people quit wanting to move there and quit wanting to buy houses. What are some things that could prevent people from wanting to buy houses in that market? Well, make it harder on the hedge funds. Make it harder on people who want to do VRBO and Airbnb and short-term rentals. Again, don't know if you want to make it harder on hedge funds. I don't know if you want to make it. That's for your local community and municipality to figure out. If you want to buy a house, then now's a great time to buy a house. If you're in a place in your life where homeownership makes sense. Because it's not going to get cheaper. If it does, if you luck out and you're in that market and you're like, I waited. Okay, cool. Maybe if you luck out, you could wait a year or two and buy something for 5 or 10% cheaper. Odds are you're probably going to miss out. Like imagine if it was January. No, I'm not going to say January. September of 2021. You're like, oh, there's a bubble. Oh, there's a bubble. I'm, gonna I'm not buying. I'm going to wait it out. Cool. So you wait it out until September of this year. And you're like, shit, there's no bubble. So you end up buying. You end up buying in, um, in, in, in September. Mm -hmm. And what happens? Nothing. It doesn't matter because yeah. you're in this house for three, five or, or seven years. Yeah. So even if in, in October, oh, my home dropped 3%, November, another 3%, December, another 3%. Now it flatlines. You're like, crap, I'm 10% down. All right, cool. You're going to live there in three years. So the next three years, you go back up 3%, back no, up 3%, not, back up 3%. Not even. Yeah. Three months, uh, three years and three months later, you're exactly where you started. And then you're about to refi anyway, so it doesn't matter. But how about this? But how about if you're like, hey. I'm going to go ahead and buy my house in September of 2021. And, oh, my home just went up 15%. Oh, crap, it just went down 10%. Guess what? You're still net positive five. Right. What I'm getting at is it doesn't matter. Like, don't try to time the market. 99 times out of 100, you're going to be wrong. 99 times out of 100. Follow patterns. Don't follow stories. James Clear just said that last Thursday. Right? Follow the patterns. The patterns are showing you that if you're in a position to buy a house, you buy a house, right? If you want to, if you're in housing and you want to try to shape housing and you want to try to advocate on, on behalf of housing, then we talked a lot about what the future is going to look like and some of the things that you need to be on the lookout for and what you need to go, what fights you need to go pick and what sides you need to take, depending on where you live and what it is that you're trying to accomplish. Mm -hmm. But I hope people learn something today. I hope at a minimum it's like, oh, okay, I made you think. Mm -hmm. And if you don't like anything that I had to say, he's John Coleman and he made me say everything. Yeah. He scripted it for yeah, me. We, this is, we had no prep for this episode. You texted me and said, what are we talking about? But that was a great episode. Awesome, John. Hey, look, uh, we are long on time and I'm sure the people in my future leaders class are like, where the <laughs> F is D.O.? He's late for the call. No, this is a quick 20-minute episode. What are you talking about? So, um... Look, I appreciate y'all tuning in. Please like us. Please share us. Please give us a five-star review. We are trying desperately hard to get 10K on YouTube. So if you haven't subscribed on YouTube, even if you don't like YouTube, just spend the five seconds it takes to create a YouTube username yeah. and a password. Yeah. Find us on YouTube, subscribe, and, and never, never log on again. Facts. And keep on listening to us on Spotify yes. and Apple. Thank you. Check out our website, tloponline.com. He's John Coleman. I'm Dustin Owen. That's all the time we have for you today, but we will catch you on the next episode. Peace. Peace.